We know that the digital space is filled with dangers, both physical and spiritual. But do we understand to what degree? Today's guest is a cybersecurity veteran and devout Catholic that is going to help us men understand how to protect ourselves from both physical and spiritual downfall in this age of information. Stay with us. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast. I'm Sam Guzman, your host, uh, along with my co-host, John Heinen. And today we are joined by Jeff Jimenez, a cybersecurity expert. But before we get to know Jeff, I just want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button on YouTube and click the bell to get notifications when we release new content. And if you love the Catholic Gentleman Podcast uh, and want to support us in some way, uh, please consider donating on Patreon. We've got a lot of great tiers set up for you with some really cool rewards. So check us out at patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman and uh, see what we have to offer and see if there's any uh, tiers that would uh, work for you. We really appreciate your support. Now uh, we want to turn to our guest, uh, Jeff Jimenez. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam and John. Glad to be here. Yeah. Glad to have well, you. I, you know, I'm excited to talk about this uh, topic of cybersecurity uh, and uh, data privacy. But before we, we get to that, let's talk about why you're qualified to talk about this. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been working in cyber defense in the private sector uh, for 15 years. Um, so you've kind of seen the Internet grow up and the cyber world grow up. Uh, you've received your undergraduate degree in theology from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, and uh, you get a lot of diverse interests. Um, so it's not just cyber, cyber tech stuff, but you also have an interest in, in Catholics in the postmodern workplace, personal safety and defense, neurohacking and building resiliency. And uh, you're also a husband and father to five. So that's, that's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I'm impressed. Well, it, it's your fault uh, for creating the Catholic <laughs> Gentleman. So I've been following you guys for many years. And so I've applied a lot of the things uh, I've, I've learned in my life uh, from all the things that you shared. So yeah, I, I, I credit you guys. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And um, uh, so just to kind of start us off, um, you know, the, the, we've all seen the movies and shows on TV uh, where there's this hacker and he can, you know, hack into the traffic lights and make them do what he wants and like hack into any webcam on earth within 30 seconds or less. Uh, you know, he can override for just about anything. You can make your car brakes turn on all these things. So uh, is this, this the realm of cybersecurity? I mean, how real is this stuff? Uh, and, and what's your role in all of this? Yeah, no, no, thank you. Like, great question. I mean, that's the question I actually get probably once a month from different family members or, you know, new friends I meet. <clears throat> and then they're like, hey, uh, can someone, uh, can, I, can someone actually hack my Tesla? You know, they'll, they'll ask me these types <laughs> of questions. And the reality is that these things can be possible, but is it worth it for the threat? So, uh, yes, like these things happen. We, I mean, you've seen the Colonial Pipeline uh, hack that shut down um, energy to the East Coast. 
um, very serious type of supply chain attack, right? But it has to be worth it. And then typically the the, the movies, um, some movies are accurate, but about I, I'd say like five percent have some accuracy. But for because it's so boring, right? Like imagine just seeing a command line interface, and literally, literally the hack can be executed without the per the hacker actually being there. It can set a time or a trigger or something. So. A lot of these things kind of happen passively. You know, think of ransomware, right? Which is what hit the colonial pipeline. So it's not as exciting, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I wish it looked like the Matrix, you know, like where I've got a screen and these numbers going down. <laughs> I can read the bits and bytes. Like, oh, I see that. Like, there's Neo right over here. And there's John's avatar moving. I'm going to move the yeah. It's not like that at all. It's actually quite... Uh, it it can be very boring to to the uh, to 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 the nascent in in this industry. Um, but for myself, I actually work in the strategy and business side of cybersecurity. So we plan what's our next strategy? How do we actually get this off the ground? How do we help these technical teams execute? And, and specifically, you know, for our customers, right? So every business has customer trust that they have to build. And so my job is to build that roadmap. But what's that picture? How do we how do we help our customers actually maintain trust? So if you guys want to build this next cool Catholic app, how would we you know, secure that and build customer trust with people's data. So the other side of it, like there's the cybersecurity stuff that we see in movies. And then there's this other side called data privacy, which is not so technical, but mm -hmm. it's super important, right? This data privacy mm -hmm. side is what do we do with information that people put into our platform? So yeah. there's that side as well, which can be used or abused as, as we've seen on the news. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's a saying, right? If if there's something that can be stolen, there's somebody to steal it. And and so, uh, you know, glad that uh, there's people like you in the cybersecurity space. But um, without going further into cybersecurity, I want to ask, why did you get into cybersecurity, right? With your undergrad degree in theology, and and I've had many a great conversations with you, and you are, um, you know, very theologically minded, um, you know, very knowledgeable, and, and you love the church, uh, as men should love the church. And so uh, that's, that's a great... Um, Testament to who you are, but why um, why not pursue further a career in theology? Why cybersecurity? How did that uh, come into your life? Yeah, so I actually transferred to the University of St. Thomas because I was discerning the priesthood and I wanted to learn theology. And I knew that by getting a Catholic liberal arts education and, and specifically going into philosophy and theology would allow to allow myself to be formed with the heart and mind of the church, which was more important foundational to any career, honestly. Um, and it's not something that, you know, getting a theology degree wasn't a career path. It was more of a, I've been lacking a lot of formation in my life and I wanted to make up for it. And mm. uh, that was the, that was the main desire was to just, you know, go into a private university uh, that was teaching theology, build myself up and put myself back out into the world. So being a, a Catholic, you know, being a Catholic in the workplace was the vocation that uh, our Lord was calling me to. Specifically, how do we go? How do we go out there and evangelize? Like, what kind of relationships can we kind of build? How can we bring people from the secular to the holy, right? And specifically, bring them to the church. And so that's been a mission of mine um, for many years to try to uh, promote the faith at work. Uh, through work. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's excellent. And that just resonates with the Catholic CEO that we had on um, Henry last, last week, you know, is just, yeah, not, not necessarily becoming insular as in the sense of, I have to start a Catholic um, company that just feeds, you know, uh, needs and voids within the Catholic church, like the Catholic gentleman or something like that, but actually working in the world as a, you know, cybersecurity or something along those lines. And so I think that's, um, yeah, we, we, we need, we need lots of lay Catholic men to really step up, uh, mm-hmm. especially because it's a lot of, you know, we're, you know, you, you heard, uh, I, I watched, uh, that episode actually with Henry and oh, you yeah. heard him say, you know, your the corporate space is going to start pulling you towards like you know, these events that you have to go to where you have conflicts of con- uh, conscience. You're going to get pulled into different things that you may not uh, necessarily theologically or even morally agree with. And so this is where you know Catholic men really have to step up and have courage, have that fortitude and resiliency. Agreed. And so to continue that question that I had, uh, Sam, sorry if you don't mind, uh, why cybersecurity? What what moved you? Um, I, uh, to this direction in, in career field? Yeah, so uh, what really attracted me, well, first of all, cyber security, the word cyber actually comes from the Greek kyber, which means like to navigate. Oh. So it comes from, a, uh, it means that you're navigating this world of information. Um, and in this world of information, I, because I went to the school for theology, I wanted to help people with uh, their souls. And I saw a great need of going into industry and influencing how industry may be able to help man navigate this growing world of information where petabytes of data are being created every day. Uh, it's fighting for our attention. Um, it's designed this way, the economic model designed this way. So ultimately I wanted to come in here and protect people. So cybersecurity is actually less about technology. It's actually more about people and mm. our interface with technology and how how people act through it. So it's all about people, right? Cybersecurity is 100% about who we are, how we believe we should use technology, our moral compass, and how how that gets applied to these tools. Yeah, that's 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 a fascinating way of looking at it as like an act of service or like a service industry almost in a sense where you're, you're helping real people. Um, this isn't just about IP addresses and and uh, things like that. It's it's much more about the individual on the other end and keeping them safe. I mean, we've all heard you know horror stories of people who lost everything because of some some hacker or something like that. And yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me just kind of your whole the things that you're saying right now just kind of remind me of of of, of uh, someone who's kind of influential in, in my thinking early on in Catholic gentlemen, which was. Saint Jose Maria Escriva, you know, where he's, he talks about sanctifying our work, and uh, but I, my my question is, how do you do that in a cybersecurity context? I mean, is it uh, my code has a certain uh, 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 halo around it, you know, that that uh, people can tell, oh, Catholic wrote this, you know? <laughs> no, but but really, like in all seriousness, like how do you how do you evangelize in in a workplace, especially now when we're like more and more remote? Like we're not even in office places anymore. Like how do you, how do you evangelize in your context or, or at least witness to your Catholic faith? Yeah. So uh, I, I work in a place where um, call it like a, a liberal tech, big tech company. And uh, especially in places like that, uh, there's 
they're receptive some, to some things and not receptive. So uh, what I don't do is I get up in the morning and uh, walk up to someone random and say, hey, have you read John chapter six on the Eucharist? You know, so <laughs> I, I don't do that. But what I do do is I actually do my best to show virtues in high stress situations. That's one thing that we have in, in my industry that's normal. Yeah. Um, and then being able to give gratitude to where that strength and that virtue comes from. Um, and that's when I get questions about how do you stay so calm in this uh, type of environment? Um, that's when, that's the opportunity. And I could say one of two things. I could say, oh, well, I don't know. You could shoot it down or I could actually give thanks to God. And those are the opportunities, those little moments where there's a lot of action and modeling that you, we all men can do in the workplace. And that just one little moment where they want to confirm, like, well, where does it come from? You know, you don't have to use so many words to get them interested and to let the Holy Spirit work. Then once they're interested, that's when that's when you bust out the catechism on them. Yeah, <laughs> that's where, yeah. But that's where you that's when it starts. Lead. But like we oftentimes I find that um, Catholic men struggle with how to actually build that relationship to try to have that 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 moment of metanoia like that, like that spark that just needs that little flame. And so those are the moments I always look for. Right. Um, and being trained in theology, like I would love to get into, you know, reverence in the liturgy, uh, the traditional Latin mass and it's and it, the beauty that it has and what we can learn from it in the Novus Ordo, perhaps. Right. Uh, the the Anglican Ordinariate, which I, I regularly attend now nowadays. Um, so these these elements of like wanting to go deep in the faith require something else in the beginning, which is something that I've learned to do in the workplace through obviously St. Jose Maria, which is where the display of virtues that you guys talk about all the time is, um, is needed to be shown. And so in various ways, it's just trying to build good habits that produce those virtues. And you do them repeatedly with, with very little um, deterrence or, or devi deviation at work. And that can save souls, I believe. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, I too have noticed, uh, you tell me if you get questions about this, but back when I worked in the, in a more secular context, um, I would get questions about my family too. Or like, well, we have another baby on the way. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Like another baby? Like, why do you need so many? And, and But it was like, but it was just kind of witness to a different order of values. Like we've, I, I value different things than a huge house and a, and a brand new car and things like that. And, and uh, have you ever got any questions about you know, your five kids and your family life, that sort of thing? Oh gosh, all the time. I mean, and a lot of my friends do too in the secular workplace. And we talk about this together all the time. You know, uh, you tell them, especially me, like I look, I look younger than I actually am. I got this Filipino baby face and they look at me, me when too. I say I've me got too. five kids. Hey, yeah, you too. Yeah. John, John looking young, man. Yeah, young. <laughs> Another one. Another one? Yeah. <laughs> no comment, John. No comment. <laughs> I get that. I get that a lot. And we, we get that a lot. And, and so uh, I, I'm a, I can be very playful sometimes with those uh, type of questions. And, uh, some, you know, sometimes I'll mess around with my friends like, yeah, I know the one I know. I just think we need three more. You know, so <laughs> I always tell my like, I'm open always to to growth. And in fact, when it comes to providing as well. Right. So in that context, like every time we've had a child, 
the Lord has always provided for us like a bump in pay, an increase in pay or a promotion or a new job. So like all like with each child, you know, we were, we, we, we would always have our confidence built, you know, and, and we, we were, we never had much money, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but our Lord provided each step of the way. And, you know, that's, that's the beautiful thing about being able to say that story, you know, so when I get that question, I always say that too, like, well, the Lord provides, if he gives, he, he, he gives in all ways. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. So shifting a little bit more to cybersecurity, right? Because you brought it up, right? Protecting um, humans, right? And dealing with humans. And that's uh, obviously something built within uh, the heart of man is that to protect, right? That kind of warrior instinct to, to protect or to defend or to, you know, go forth and and win the battle. And and but at the same time, you juxtapose that with, you know, it's it's not uh, the matrix. It's not, you know, going out and catching bad guys in the cyberspace, although there is a little bit of that right uh, to, to my understanding within cybersecurity. And so I'd like to hear from you, you know, kind of what is cybersecurity? What are the what are the degrees of cybersecurity, um, you know, that that you have been able to work on or that are even out there? Because I think it's really important for us as men and as fathers to understand these attacks and to understand, I work in the digital space as well. So I kind of understand, you know, the attacks from China to, you know, websites in general, right? Not specific to the faith, but just websites in general as, as kind of, yeah, ransomware and these sort of things. But, um, but let's help us dive in a little bit further into, you know, what cybersecurity is, how it's been growing and your involvement within it. And I mean, uh, you know, in your, your biography, uh, Sam read, he said that there was, you know, neuro hacking and, and I'd like to hear, you know, a little bit about all of those different things is that sounds, that sounds more matrixy. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, we're entering a phase now in cybersecurity where we're introducing technologies like artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so this is being used to manipulate truth and insert lies within truth. This is, this is one example. It's where you can actually take a video that was posted and then modify sections of it, say someone is speaking or a dignitary is speaking. And now there's the threat of actually modifying the words that he's saying using deep fake technology to replicate the voice and the face to have to literally put words into leadership's mouths. Mm -hmm. So that's one area of you know, national security that's been um, you know, brought up you know, by various institutes like RSA, which is a world-renowned cybersecurity um, business and firm. Um, but going, if we drill down from there and say like, what, what really matters is the cell of society and that's the family. And so protecting the family in this new world of the, like the, the internet 3.0, you know, we're getting to a point now where we need new tools and new mindsets with uh, the internet today. And so what I've been doing is working with um, businesses to help them build cybersecurity awareness. But what we're finding is that that awareness needs to go all the way back to the home. Because if they don't care about their own privacy at home, they're going to bring those habits to work and they won't be able to translate that to protecting their own businesses, thus protecting you know, the well-being of others who share in, in working in this company. So cybersecurity today is all about people, like I said. And uh, today uh, with, um, obviously, like I mentioned, those other technologies, we really need to get to a point where we have a basic basic training 
in cybersecurity for families. And so obviously there's great tools out there, Sam, you're, you're working with uh, Covenant Eyes um, and your work with them, like protecting the family from uh, moral threats on the internet. Um, you can have you know, VPN technologies, right, which protects the family and you're in, uh, from middle, you know, man in the middle type of attacks where VPN encrypts your, your internet connection, so to speak, and so people can't sniff around and look at your bank accounts or financial things. But I think there's also psychological attacks, um, potentially through disinformation, but even just the design, the design of your physical device, the design of the way we've incentivized. So it's an economic problem that's causing human behaviors to um, become exploited. So we have vulnerabilities and now we have these threats that are um, being exploited um, through the way technology is designed. So this touches just touches on, you know, a mind at peace, which you guys had before, yeah. but specifically in the cybersecurity world, we're paying very close attention to that because that can be exploited to, you know, exfiltrate any kind of important data. So that's, yeah. that's really clear today. Oh, and you bring up yeah, Josh there. And I know we talked with him that the idea of, you know, increase of convenience equals decrease in privacy. And the more we we get involved in a thousand different social media platforms, not only is there <clears throat> the spiritual risk of wasting our time and um, and uh, lacking in, in, you know, custody of the mind, right? We're not, curiosity has gone wild, you know, and just um, and going down these rabbit holes. But there's also the physical risk, as you were saying, of giving out information of ourselves, our close family and friends, that we have to be um, aware of, and we have to be, um, I guess, first and foremost, um, you know, conscious of the threat, you know, so that we can then uh, use the tools necessary to to keep, you know, these bad things from from happening to us. Yeah, I, I think the psychological threats are are the most dangerous today. You know, whenever I talk to friends and I say, hey, uh, you know, uh, they're actually asking me like, hey, so I don't see you on Facebook that much. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really put my kids out there. I just, you know, choose not to, you know, not, you know, trying to call other people. I just, I have a different understanding of risks and, you know, taking that into consideration. In particular, just being able to uh, be able to use what's called open source intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've never heard this term before, this is uh, the techniques that are out there to be able to find almost anything you want about a person legally without having to illegally in infiltrate, you know, get inside of a network, exfiltrate, simply because of the amount of information that we've actually put out there on the internet, as well as publicly available information. I saw this exercise once, uh, this, there was a uh, uh, OSINT, O-S-I-N-T, open source intelligence hacker, he was looking at um, a picture of a person pumping gas. And so from that picture, he was able to zoom in, um, invert the picture, was able to see the reflection of the person, took a face, used AI to match that face to potential people out there. And so th this is very easy now to, to take identities um, because of the amount, amount of information that we have. Maybe they know your grandmother's name, and maybe your 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 grand your you know, what are these uh, pastor questions asked? Like your father's middle name, right? We yeah. can find that quite. So now we're in a place where there's 
it's it's very much easy. You can almost assume compromise is, is the posture that we always take. And so mm-hmm. as men living in the secular world on our phones, doing banking, doing anything that's personal, we really have to take a posture that's that's different nowadays. We, it's just going to be the bare minimum of making sure you turn on multi-factor. But these are these are the uh, these are the things that that kill the body. But th- there are threats out there that will kill the soul, and we know that as you know, content, whether that's pornography, um, but also those that also deaden our ability to achieve habits that are good for us. So, for example, addictive technology. Uh, they call uh, it's it, engagement and persuasion are the techniques that uh, these. Uh, these big tech companies use, right? So they want to use the ability to engage you and then take a small percentage of that and see if they can actually persuade you. So there's manipulative tech, there's manip- manipulative um, data that's being inserted as you're being constantly stimulated and being addicted to, you know, some of these major tools that you guys already talked about in, uh, in Josh's, pod- Josh's podcast with y'all. Yeah, we could have a whole episode to it, and I think we have at some point about just just the technology and the addictive capacity that that's there, um, not just to you know um, pornography and things like that, but just just the color psychology and everything that they use to keep you on the staring at this device as much as possible. Um, now you mentioned a few of the threats that are out there and how easy it is these days. And I've read some articles too, you know, on, on some of the threats that are out there, things like, you know, if you have RFID chip in your credit card and you're walking through the airport or the mall, like people are stealing all your data and, you know, your email headers have so much data in them that people can find out like all of your internet browsing behavior and all the stuff is stuff that will just like, you can't sleep at night. Like someone's spying on me all the time and, and uh, so there, on the, I vacillate, like on the one hand, I sometimes I get really paranoid and I'm like, I'm just going to delete everything. And then other times I'm like, well, they don't really care about me. Like, who am I, you know, and why would they want to track me down? And, and so like, you just go swing back and forth between like indifference and like complete paranoia. So, but where's the golden mean? Like, where's prudence and all this? And like, what are some of the steps you take personally to kind of protect your family and what are some of the things that are that, that guys can do to to find that that happy medium of prudential yeah yeah that, that's true and and i still go through that too <laughs> especially as we as we learn how these threat actors you know ex- exploited things i'm like oh my gosh recently there was something called the log 4j or log 4 shell hack yeah. which affects websites that use java and java is the language of operating systems except for Microsoft. I mean, it's, it runs the web. And so virtually everyone was vulnerable with a zero day attack, zero day meaning you're immediately vulnerable if someone decided to exploit it. So I go from there and then I also go through like, I give up, this is, this is just too crazy. Like there's just so much happening. And so the happy medium that I've found is actually making it harder for like, you wanna be resilient. Like there's gonna be, if someone really wants your information, and here's the sad truth, and you have something very valuable, don't put it on the internet if you can. If it's if you know that a lot of people are targeting it, they someone is gonna. It just takes money, right? That's the that's the reality today. Uh, there's so many social engineering techniques that can be employed, but I don't think the average person is gonna have that kind of information, right? And typically, be financial. 
But the thing you want to do is protect your children and protect your family from any kind of, you know, happenstance type of attacks. So here's what I do. I'll give you three steps. First thing, first step in your home is check your Wi-Fi router. Make sure you have either A, a very strong password, and B, you hide the SSID. Meaning that if I turn on my phone and I'm outside of John's house and mm -hmm. I look there and I see John's awesome Wi-Fi he just bought yesterday, I'm going to be able to brute force that depending on what kind of security he has. So what you want to do is just prevent your neighbors from stealing your internet and have a good Wi-Fi router that can actually hide its SSID. Most of them can and put a really strong password in there. That's very difficult. You know, like I've, I've, uh, there's some charts out there that show that if you have uh, a 12 character password, it'll take uh, that has, you know, uppercase, lowercase numbers, characters, it'll actually take hundreds of years to crack that by mm. brute force. But if you have a password that's only lowercase letters, it's instant that they can crack that. So strong passwords, you can Google that. So that's step one, protect your outside perimeter. Step two, the other way, uh, the other thing you can do is consider um, other email protocols. In, in fact, I would say consider paying for an email service. I use ProtonMail. I don't make any money from them or anything like that, but I use them uh, and I pay monthly for the space. Uh, it's it's secure, it's private. Uh, it's actually held, I think the data centers are actually in Switzerland. Um, mm. And so it's another added layer of protection. And then the third thing I do is uh, I recommend is get something like Covenant Eyes. Uh, for There's other uh, applications out there. This should be a must if you give your children a device, just absolute must. Like there's, this needs to be, as Mother Angelica used to say, between your electrical budget and your gas budget. Like, I, like something like that needs to be in there. And if you're not doing it, we're, we've already lost. Mm -hmm. And that's because of how, if, like if you have something that's super addictive with something that's super immoral, you have, you have a really big problem that you have to contend with in your family. And so if you give your child a phone, they should at least have Covenant Eye immediately installed on there. Um, if you have to give them a phone before they're 18, as you can tell, I probably won't be giving my children a phone. <laughs> if not, if not, I'll give them a dumb phone. In fact, I'm shopping for one right now. If you guys have any recommendations, I'm looking for one just for myself. I have to keep a smartphone for work, but I actually prefer, and I'm much happier with, you know, probably not having a smartphone for myself. You know, I think other people, you guys are stronger than I am. Okay. I'm just neurologically incapable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just bought a dumb phone. Uh, so I do have a recommendation. Talking about Switzerland, uh, they have this P-U-N-K-T, like punked phone, it's called. Punked means period in German. But uh, it's a Swiss phone company, and they have like a really secure phone. It's a total dumb phone. There's like absolutely no browsers or anything. It can text, and it can call, and that's about it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, 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 uh, I, your point is well taken, and I think... Um, uh, the I, people handing your kid an unprotected device that has internet access is like handing them a loaded gun and saying, here, have fun, you know, with the safety off. Like, I mean, yeah. because the, the, a young child's developing brain, I mean, it's hard enough for adults, but a young child's developing brain can't handle things like pornography. Like it just completely destroys their, their, their developing neuropsychology. And it's, and it can literally take years, decades to undo the damage that, you know, pornography can cause in, in a short amount of time. So to just hand your child an unprotected device with no filters, no controls, nothing on it, 
is is just asking for disaster um and it could literally change the trajectory of your child's life so take it very seriously um the other thing too i was curious about that you mentioned is your your step number two and the email and i've been on kind of on the fence about the the uh, proton mail i have an account i haven't paid for it yet but i'm just curious what is the vulnerability you know i've had a i've had um no please no one please go hack me but um but uh, <laughs> i've had the same gmail account since 2007 um yeah. you know i've got <laughs> thousands and thousands of emails in there like how vulnerable am i really like what can people actually extract from like when you send off an email what can people actually extract from that well, yeah, I, I can tell you actually a real life story. So a very close family member of mine actually got her identity stolen and her email was locked out and Gmail couldn't help her because it was perceived that it was, it was done. Someone had lo- logged in, changed the password, changed the name uh, and kept the email. Uh, they also exfiltrated a, a, a copy of the entire mailbox. So gigs of data. and if you think of over time, right, what are the odds that I might find who you're related to, who like who your social network is? I could build that model. I can figure out who your, well, I don't want to give away <laughs> these tactics, but basically there's yeah. data about us in, 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 in there. And, and, you know, I, I have, uh, I have a Gmail that I still use, but I go dark on it. Like I, I still have a proton mail, um, that is my main email. Um, and I recommend that you get a second email, at least get a second email and start, start putting your personal information, your banking information there. One of the main vulnerabilities that happens with, with these free, quote unquote, free email providers is that they also come with authentication services, sign in with Google, right? And so that means you have a single point of failure that's possible for someone to sign into multiple things. Um, so if you sign in with Google or you sign in with LinkedIn or you sign in with one of those, it just presents more vectors for threat actors to be able to go find more data. And data, data today, what we call um, is the new oil, right? And so in this data economy, um, in particular, it's it's personal data that, that is the new oil. You know, yeah. and there's there's stories of that being sold without people's knowledge. I was talking, John, we had a conversation earlier about you know things like that, right? So uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's that i don't know but i think i don't know what your data could have right specifically sam <laughs> but yeah. uh in, in particular you know at least if you have that if you want to stick with your gmail definitely put multi-factor authentication use an authenticator app you, you know google's got one or use um you send it to your text but always always have multi-factor something you know with something you have these are just basics right like when you um I mean, think of any best practice that any growing adult needs to know, like before my children even get an account, that's how they're going to be set up. And this is, these are just the basics that we have to start to get used to. It's like telling some, and it's hard for me because I grew up with AOL, right? Like there weren't very many threats back then. I mean, um, I grew up, you know, taking the subway to the arcade when I was 10 years old and it was fine, but you know, when, when we talk to the neighbors and friends and, you know, they don't want to let their kids play outside or like, Hey, can I go ride my bike like five miles that way? Like, no, not yeah. only no, but no, I don't <laughs> feel like riding there. <laughs> yeah. But 
there, there's just there's we're used to that, but we're not used to that in our digital world. Mm. That it's not going to go anywhere, go go anywhere um, anytime soon. So we have to have that same mindset, that same protector mindset built in in this new world. In this world, almost anyone can show up at your door in this new world, in this new internet world. And so you have to be be prepared. Parati semper. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. And and, I, and you remind me of a conversation uh, that you and I had a, a while back of uh, being me being paranoid and, and you being paranoid, you know, and, and I know Sam, what you're saying definitely resonates with me. So I'm going to actually further this question down the email. So you said it's a proton mail. Is that what it's called? Um, yeah. yeah. Proton mail, uh, most popular one. So if we were to switch over there are men listening to this, myself included, right? So I'm so ignorant and I like Sam have one that goes back actually longer than Sam's. And so, um, you know, and it's great. I was an early adopter of, of Gmail. I'm so proud of myself. And so the the question is now the amount of programs and platforms and stuff like that that I use that email address on. My first question is, do you encourage people to now start going through going through your Amazon account, going through your your various different accounts and changing over uh, your email um, address to a new email address, um, one that's that's more protected. And then my second question is: Is there a simplified format of like auto forwarding things that are coming through your Gmail to a higher, um, more secure, you know, email server such as Proton Mail? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, like we're we're getting to you know different types of services now. So yeah. uh, many viewers of me, many of your viewers may have heard of DuckDuckGo. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually have come up with a new email domain where you can generate email forwarding. Uh, so if I'm if I'm on my smartphone, let's say I'm on my iPhone, and I have the DuckDuckGo app on there, that also protects privacy and browsing, but it also allows me to sign up with. Uh, kind of like a burner email that forwards directly to my Gmail. So mm -hmm. I could actually create a layer of anonymity to protect me uh, if, if I wanted to use that ability. So there's that email forwarding capability if you desire to do that. Yeah. Um, I do also recommend that you switch to email platforms um, that aren't trying to either A, be funded by manipulation or B, you know, using your data without paying you for it. Um, yeah. To me, that's that's part of the crux is that um, if they're using your data, and this is the philosophy that I hold, if they're using that data, uh, your data, uh, and to profit off of it, they should pay you as if it's licensed information or intellectual property. Um, but that's that's a that's a further debate. But I, I still mm. recommend that people go out there, yeah, go through all of your accounts because if you have one account, it, I'm telling you, I had to clean up one of these. I had to clean up uh, this identity theft of a Gmail account that had exfiltrated gigs of data and all the credit cards, all the ancillary accounts, subscriptions, sure. forgot she had, single point of failure. It was just, um, and, and they had accessed several of those accounts. Mm. And so remember, you're not up against one hacker in a hoodie in a dark room with espressos. You're up against, <laughs> with Red you're up against yeah. a lot of, yeah, you're, you're up against, um, you know, organized crime. Mm. I got a guy in a tie on my side, so I think we'll do better than guy in the hood. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's real. And um, 
uh, I think that, you know, you talked about protecting the family, your bank accounts get wiped out, uh, your family's going to be hurting. So um, it, it's something to take to take very seriously. Um, so, so what's, what's your recommendation to, I, sorry, we keep harping on email, but it is something no, that's, sir, this is that's relevant, but, um, you know, the, 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 let's say you switch to an email hypothetically, like, would you, would you recommend like deleting all that old data? Um, or do you just let it sit there? Uh, what would be your recommendation yeah. there? So this is my recommendation is whatever you put out there be very intentional, right? Like we, we got used to this uh, unlimited, you know, free for all type of utilization of our email. And so we've just amassed, I mean, it's, it's like filtering through your, your photos and like, oh gosh, I should delete like half of these. We should do the same thing, like do an audit of yourself. Like it's a lot of work, but you really want to find like the most important things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like looking at it as if it's personal belongings. Like, do you really need all that stuff? You really, really question that kind of hoarding, right? Like, yeah. and so then um, filtering it, like mail, just like it's called email, right? So what happens when it hits your, your actual physical mailbox? You sorted it. We've lost that in email. We just kind of let it build in the inbox. Maybe John, may, I'd imagine you're pretty good at managing your mailbox. You got my zero. work email, yeah. my work email, my personal email. No, I gave up years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can actually go through like right now with these new privacy laws, uh, you have the right to be forgotten. Um, you have the right to know what they've done with your personal data. You have the right to remove it. You have a lot of different rights, especially through um, uh, EU. They have this uh, GDPR, Global Data mm-hmm. Privacy um, Regulation. Uh, United States is looking at you know that's all that's always going through Congress, and it forces companies to have to have conscience about how they use your data so uh, I, I think I think it's a good thing to do to make sure you classify like what's important in those buckets and make sure that you don't leave anything that's super important like in the wrong place um, yeah are there any tools that'll help with an audit like that of just kind of because I mean uh, I think too another concern is that we've all over the last you know, 20 years the internet's been really popular we've all created like dozens of accounts that we've forgotten about or that you know who knows how long they've been just sitting there is there a tool or something that'll help you kind of sort through all that yeah sort through all the space trash right yeah Uh, yeah exactly trash right uh i i actually don't have any specific tools um other than like when you when you export do an export of your mailbox is one way you can do it so that way you can, um, you know, put it somewhere. Now, I don't know. Some people's mailboxes are in the gigs, uh, and the the fastest thing to do is just look for the biggest files. Um, these are practical techniques you can do, especially if you've got, you've, you know, I've I've had Gmail um, since you know 2005, 2006 as well, um, and I go through and I delete everything older than two years, um, and keep the stuff that. Uh, I want to keep. And if I need to keep it, I don't need to keep it in my email. I'll, I'll put it on an encrypted hard drive. So, yeah. but you're, what you're hearing from me is friction. Like, oh, that is not convenient at all. Right. <laughs> but I think that's, that's, that's actually good for us. Right. That's actually allowing us to um, reduce that kind of dopamine addiction that they built into you know, platforms that are free 
like that in big tech. So yeah, it feels hard. And if it feels hard, it's probably the right thing to do when it comes to big tech. Yeah. Wow. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the friction. You just, yeah, you reminded me that and that's, we don't, uh, we don't find time to fix these things. We've got to make time to fix these things. Right. So we have to just like virtues, just like our growth and, and, in appropriate habits and, you know, in virtue formation is that it has to be something that we practice and we return to, uh, not just once in our life, not just, uh, one, one Lenten 44 days, not just one, you know, 90 day period, but continuously for for our entire lives and so that's what we have to be doing uh within this space so i'm going to do just a little bit of you know the speculative and and what do you think the future holds for for cybersecurity or for cyber risks do you um i know that there's the ability right if if um, a hacker or you know a a group were to able to get into, um, you know, large scale Fortune 500 companies. They can affect, you know, stock prices. And if they affect stock prices on, you know, X, Y, and Z, they can do it throughout the whole stock market. And so there are these great risks, these terrorist risks, and stuff like that. Do you feel like we're going to be seeing more of that as we go forward? As people become more um, deadened to the reality, open to convenience, and um, and ignoring the risks, or um, you know, what's your educated opinion on, on the future of these things? Well, I, I can give you, uh, based on what I'm seeing in the industry, um, what you saw with the, uh, not just the colonial uh, hack, but also the, the meat producer uh, that got hacked. Um, so I, I'm foreseeing that there's going to be a lot more supply chain type of attacks, especially between nation state actors and nation state threats. Um, you, you've probably seen movies where, you know, hackers attack the grid, things like that, but these are, this is an industry called, uh, industrial controls, right? Like industrial security, ICS. Um, that's the biggest area where, you know, we as a country need to be able to defend and, and fortify. Um, uh, that's, that's the part of me where like, uh, you know, I can only contribute. I'm just one man. <laughs> You know, it, it takes it takes a lot to actually defend that. But this is where also, um, you know, I, I pray <laughs> there's yeah. I'm not just data driven. You know, I'm, I'm faith driven. So I, these are things that we pray that you know don't happen. Um, and we pray that we will have the resiliency if something like that were to happen. Uh, so I foresee the cyber threats moving towards the supply chain, um, getting into source code of, of tools to be able to, you know, when a company builds a program and lots of other companies use it, that program gets sent out there. And the next thing you know, they've just bought something that's already compromised from the manufacturer by an outside threat. Mm -hmm. So the, these are, these are the uh, types of uh, threats that, you know, keep uh, workers like us up at night. Yeah. Yeah. So do, um, kind of one last question for me, and that's that this, spiritual dimension to all of this you you have a theological background and and um i think it's important that we see everything through kind of that lens of faith um that there are higher orders uh of of uh being kind of involved in these decisions that we make every day um and so i'm just wondering like what is your what's kind of a spiritual take on technology like there's, there's, there's among Christians, there's, there's generally two attitudes that I see. One is either like 
don't worry about it. Just treat it just like the world does, you know, um, uh, have, have the big TV, have the smartwatch and have it. Now there's anything inherently wrong with these things. And yet there's just, it's just kind of, they don't think about it. Like it's just there. So we're going to use it. Um, then the other attitude is kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, a semi Amish or like Luddite approach to technology, which is don't have anything like, we're going to go back to basics. We're going to have like oil lamps and stuff. Like we're going, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we're, we're going to uh, throw everything out and we're going to be as tech free as humanly possible. Um, kind of what's your, what's your take on uh, kind of a spiritual approach to technology and uh, how can we use it with kind of wisdom and um, a awareness that there are, other factors involved, uh, spiritual and moral. Yeah. You know, I think of, I think of two encyclicals. Uh, the first one is Fides et Ratio mm-hmm. by Pope John Paul. Uh, just the first two words, know thyself. And I think that's the first part of our interface with technology is to recognize if we have a, a, a vulnerability to certain types of technology or big tech, um, type of tools, right? I'm talking about social media. That's the obvious one. That's been the hot topic for the last couple of years. And lots of um, Silicon Valley talking heads are out there on on social media, preaching against social media. So I think there's, I think we need to take an honest inventory of ourselves and examination of conscience of our tech, uh, an examination of our tech conscience even, right? So like, what is it that we're using this for? And uh, the second, so knowing ourselves, and, uh, and for me, knowing myself, I know I'm I'm just neurologically incapable of resisting this type of addictive technology. Like I I'm I'm not strong enough. And so that's the first step. Like I realize I'm there. So then I need to put up barriers, or I need to find ways for me to to get benefits out of technology that don't hurt my soul, that don't hurt my ability to grow in magnanimity in, in business or in, you know, charity to my family, because there's psychological effects uh, in that area. The second encyclical uh, that I think of um, is actually Pope Benedict's Caritas in Veritate, where he talks about techne, technology, and, and this never-ending desire for uh, incremental progress um, in, in society, right? Like obviously driven economically, like economic progress. Um, <clears throat> given, given that this, some of our economic models around technology are incentivizing um, addiction, right? It's, think of like the cigarette, <laughs> right? Um, they're using human exploits. So to me, the, 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 the answer is in being very intentional. Like, what is my exact purpose for using this tool versus convenience? Um, I find a lot of parallels with this uh, in like this this desire for ultra convenience. Uh, I see a lot of parallels of this also in, you know, recent decades in the liturgy, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the the liturgy wanting to have much more convenience, like this, this, this desire for convenience permeates all areas, like both secular and and life um, in uh, in the church, and so I see a lot of parallels there. I I, uh, I guess what I'm trying to do is integrate those. Like these are not this is not two separate lives in in our in our lives as men. Like these are these are things that actually coincide together. But 
if I can just go back to that second second encyclical from Pope Benedict, um, he talks about how um, again these economic models are actually promoting this false idea of what real progress is. But real progress is growing in love of God. Like that's the point of our use of technology, growing in holiness, bringing all things back to Christ. The exodus and then the exit and the return. You know the uh, the return of all man to God, which is also the structure of the Summa Theologiae. Like it's just us leaving God and us coming back to God. Like this is this is what we are trying to do with technology today is hopefully bring more people back to God. So how that actually plays out, there's so many ways that can go, but we have to be very intentional with our use. We have to take an inventory of that. Again, an examination of conscience of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, use it. Don't let it use you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, precisely. Yeah. Precisely. I think that was incredibly well said, Jeff. I appreciate that a lot because it it is something that I think most men aren't willing to admit readily, right? That we're attached to our addictions. And if we can easily justify those addictions for, you know, the sake of work or the sake of, you know, staying up with trends and having to appropriately be in the know, you know, I, I mean, I just think speak from from personal experience with my own, you know, connection to technology, you know, that we have to really bring those to God. We have to really bring those uh, to him and ask him directly, you know, through, through the intercession of our beautiful mother, is this helping me come closer to you? Or is this, is this not, you know, and, and take an honest assessment. I really examination of conscience. I thought it was well, very well stated. Hopefully our listeners will Kind of rewind and, and listen to that again. I thought that was really well stated. You brought up my last question is I just and I'm bummed that we can't spend more time talking about liturgy. So we'll have to have you back on because uh, you know any listener or reader of the blog knows that you know Sam and I um, greatly enjoy you know good conversations on the liturgy and, and the beauty in our personal lives. But you brought up resiliency, and I just kind of wanted to give you an opportunity, or actually just hear from you really. Uh, you know what you feel the need for men is within uh, this, uh, this virtue, this, um, this ability to return quickly, you know, to maintain our peace, if you will, and to, um, you know, and how you see the technology age removing that from us and, and what we need to be doing to, to gain that and to hold true to that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on resiliency before we depart today. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, I've, I've done a lot of uh, reading and research on on this area for my own personal benefit as well, right? So being uh, being in the technology world, like it's constantly just trying to absorb information. It's like a gluttony of information sometimes, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's not a develop, it's not moving from information to understanding, understanding to wisdom, right? And then moving to the will. Um, and so resiliency plays a big part in my life in that, um, one, well, first of all, like the way I see resiliency is, like you said, the ability to get back up again. Uh, but it's also, I think, the ability to uh, recognize where one is weak and where one needs to um, look for help if you need help on the outside, right? So there's lots of things in um, in this space where it's it's more than just being, you know, tough and like picking yourself up by the bootstraps. Yeah. It's being able to ask for help and rely on others and building a community. The other part of resiliency, uh, you know, personal resiliency um, that I, I 
obviously when we went through Exodus in 90, John, you and I, we, we did that together. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and we went together as, as a brotherhood, like building that up is also super important, right? Being able to find that group of men in your life, especially as working men. And if you're in like in secular space, right? Um, you know, typically I see priests there, there may be some priests who are alone, but like typically they, they, they build each other up. But I think there's a lack of that um, in the workspace and you can tend to feel alone um, and you don't necessarily have to find a Bible study group or, a, you know, a, any kind of study groups, but the ability to build relationships, I feel like is also part of resiliency, being able to say like, you know what, hey, uh, this is the path I'm going on, calling your closest friends, being courageous enough to say like, this is where we need to go next. Um, and I feel like, and so these are building structures in your life that allow you to uh, achieve those goals. Now, where the technology comes in is that, you know, Exodus 90, like I mentioned before, that's technology applied to building up resiliency. Um, the other part of it is, uh, you know, technology has, like, when we speak of technology, I'm specifically thinking of the internet. Right. We talked about the addictive nature and how unhappy it can make people. There's yeah. uh, dysphoria. That, that, yeah. That technology dysphoria, exactly. Mental dysphoria. Those are, those are still big problems today. And I think it's not talked about enough, honestly. Um, I have, I, I know people at work and they just always workaholics, right? Because they also have that dysphoria through some of the addictive nature and some of the tools that we have. It's even built into corporate tools. Um, like Microsoft Teams, you yeah. know, the alerting, the color psychology. So there's uh, there's a place there where we have to be resilient um, to to that. Uh, and, and again, like, and some people may be going through a kind of hero's journey, right? And they may be taking big falls or little falls. And so uh, looking at that archetype of the hero's journey, and 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 I guess to, we don't have much time to actually go deeper into it, but yeah. I I I. I just see that there's a lot of men who are lonely out there and they need brothers. And so the ability to connect with other men and offer that uh, is huge. And it can be from maybe, maybe not you, maybe you connect them with someone else, but there's a lack of connection out there. And I think it's a misunderstanding of the kind of stoic way of uh, there's this new movement of like stoicism, but I think there needs to be a connection. Like we, we, you know, as we always hear um, iron sharpens iron, you know, we really do need each other out there in the field, in the front ends, uh, in the front lines. Amen, Jeff. Oh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I think that's all excellent things. And I know we're coming up here at the end of the episode. So, Jeff, any last thoughts for men? Any additional things that you'd like to share with uh, with our listeners? Uh, no, just gratitude. You know, like and subscribe. Uh <laughs> This is, this is really one of the best, this is really one of the best, uh, um, content out there for men, uh, honestly. And I'm happy to talk with you guys and, and, and hopefully serve, serve and protect other people as well through the show. Oh, thanks. Jeff. Well, it's been awesome. And, uh, I gotta go do a cybersecurity audit. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, 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 no, but really it's been, it's been a pleasure having you on and I've learned a lot and, uh, yeah, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff, for your prayers. So, well, as we end every episode, thanks for listening and be a man, be a saint. <laughs>